Okay, we're going to have section leaders today for the thermostat. I, I have no idea. My, my thermostat is useless because I'm always hot in here. Um, so, Carl, you're on that one. And Anna, that one. And George, you got the back one. So if you see people around you swooning, fix it. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry that's hard. Um, I'm trying to keep the doors open, the fans on, and yeah, it's hard. So, um, Rembrandt painted a, a painting called The Night Watch 500 years ago. Um, it keeps getting vandalized. Somebody threw acid on it time, and... Uh, it's crazy people, but painting doesn't know that. And uh, they were able to get to it. It only, it only really got on the varnish on the surface of the painting at first. And, uh, but then somebody came in angry uh, with a blade and slashed dozens of zigzag slices through this painting in the museum. And it's the kind of thing, it's why the Mona Lisa has bulletproof glass in front of it. Right? Um, vandalizing a painting. So once that happened, they just threw it away, right? Because yeah, it's ruined now. No, they didn't throw it away, right? They, they fixed it both times. And if somebody vandalizes it again, they'll probably fix it again. Because it's valuable and because it's meaningful and it's worth fixing and it's worth keeping. Uh, which is a fair explanation of why Jesus Christ came to our rescue. He made this world that he said was very was good, and then when he made us kind of the pinnacle of creation, human beings in his image, he said it was very good. A delight to him. And so when it got vandalized by us, by our war of independence from God, he didn't just throw it away and discard it, but came to rescue it, to restore it, to fix it, and put it back the way it's supposed to be. Uh, original beauty, original peace. And that's what he came to do for us. We've uh, raised the question as we've started into this study of the Gospel of Mark, why do we have all this information about Jesus' life and teaching and miracles and all of, that, uh, all of that information if the whole point of the Christian enterprise is just to get people's souls to heaven? Why not just start with Holy Week? I mean, it already takes up about half the book. Why not just start there? Why all the stuff about the miracles and the teaching and things like that? Um, Souls to heaven, that's a pretty important part of the uh, equation, right? The Christian faith, at least temporarily, we go to heaven when we die before the resurrection, in which, at which point we'll live in the new creation with new bodies uh, in a world that works again. But the reason we have all this information about uh, what Jesus taught and did in his life and ministry and miracles is because Jesus was after more than just getting people's souls to heaven after they die. He came to fix the whole world, to restore it like he'd restore the beautiful painting that was vandalized. He's out to fix the whole thing. Uh, our souls reconnected to God, our relationship with him restored, but also all the collateral damage from our war of independence against God is being fixed by Jesus. And his teaching and miracles lay that out for us really clearly. And so as we jump in, uh, this morning in Mark chapter 1, this morning, yeah, um, somewhere, like maybe in Australia, um, we're going to be thinking about that. What, what is the big picture of what Jesus came to do? And how do these miracles, miracles, 
play into that. How are we supposed to think about and understand them? So that's what we're going to think about. Let me pray for us, and then I'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that um, you would open our eyes and open our hearts to your son, that we'd have great thoughts of him, that we would have a deep appreciation for what he's done for us, uh, both to understand it, to latch on to it, and to be swept up into his mission in the world. So come help us as we listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to read this whole section. We're going to read uh, through verse 39. So beginning at verse 21 of Mark 1. It says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. They questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter. And James, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise, Praise be to you, O Christ. I don't know if you had you know, 15 minutes to read the, uh, the reflection at the beginning of the bulletin. It's from a book called Is Paris Burning? A friend of mine pointed this out to me this week and uh, I want to read this section to you about their anticipation when the Allies finally were coming into Paris at the end of World War II. Parisians rejoice, shouted Pierre Schaeffer on French radio. We've come on the air to give you the news of our deliverance. The Leclerc, the Leclerc division has entered Paris. And with all the power of Paris's electric plants behind it, the radio pushed one pulsating Marseille over the air. As it did, a remarkable thing happened. In hundreds of of thousands of homes, Parisians spontaneously spun up their radios full volume and threw open their windows. And from balconies, doorways, and windows, from sidewalks, streets, and barricades, the whole darkened city, proud and alive again, sang with the radio. For a few moments, Paris wrapped herself in the sound of that anthem, rolling and reverberating through all her blacked-out streets. Barely had the sound of the Marseillais faded when Schaefer grabbed his microphone again. Tell all the parish priests who can hear me to ring their church bells to announce the arrival of the Allies in Paris. 
For four years, the bells of Paris had hung lifeless and silent. Not once during the occupation had their rich notes rung out to call Parisians to mass, to proclaim the news that a king is born or Christ is risen, or even to toll the passing of a departed parishioner. Now on Schaefer's call, they threw off that cloak and shook out the dust gathered in four years of silence and sorrow. Already from the south tower of Notre Dame, the great 14-ton bell of the Cathedral of Paris had launched the glorious peal. From the crest of Montmartre, the 19-ton bell of Sacré-Cœur threw back its notes, and one by one from one end of the city to the other, the churches of Paris joined them. Within minutes, the whole skyline of Paris shook with the thunder of their majestic chorus. Parisians hanging from their windows wept in the darkness at the sound. Isn't that beautiful? You know, it's, it's a little bit like the excitement and anticipation people had as Jesus began his public ministry. It's like, really? The long-awaited-for king, the, prom- the Messiah is really here? He's really coming? And what they were hearing right away is not just, well, someone has the opinion that this is the Messiah. They started seeing these wild miracles. Uh, people who were demonized start showing up, and the demons were cast out of them. People who were sick were being healed. And it was dramatic. And the word, of course, spread really fast. People saying, what is this? It's happening. It's on. And they had a lot of different expectations about what the Messiah would be, I'm sure. And a lot of questions about what he's going to do and what's next and all this. But the electricity was there. Right? Um, this is happening. It's really happening now. And uh, wondering what's life going to be like in light of this. So Jesus, when he starts his ministry then... He has uh, what somebody called a show-and-tell approach to explaining what he was doing there. Uh, He's preaching in the synagogues, and they were letting him, which is interesting at this point. Um, He's preaching in the synagogues, telling them what we we talked about last week. The kingdom is here because I'm here. I'm the king. I'm the promised Messiah, and I'm here. But then he was showing them as well as telling them, and this is what that looks like, and the miracles of healing and the the uh, relieving of people who are demonized uh, are pictures that he's painting to say, look, this is what it looks like when the king is here. Um, This is the way things are supposed to be. This is the way it is when I rule. And I want you to see it. And so that's what he's doing. Um, Two big things that come up in this passage he's doing are are with healing the sick and then relieving those who are demonized. And uh, so I want us to look at those Separately, and talk about what does it mean that Jesus has come uh, with regard to these things that are the maladies of living in a broken world that we all deal with. Start with the healing of the sick. He goes in Peter's mother-in-law's house first. That's the first healing. And then everybody comes to the door and he heals lots of the others. She has a fever, which, you know, we think, yeah, well, take Tylenol. What's the big deal? But this is a terrifying kind of fever because they didn't have any analgesics, right? This is... Uh, you got a fever, it might be it for you. You know, a terrifying kind of thing. And uh, Jesus walks in, takes her hand, and heals her. She gets up. Like, she feels good enough to take care of other people at that point and serves them. He just heals her. Miraculously. You know, without drugs, uh, without tricks, he just heals her by touching her. Um, and what he's saying, and when he's healing the other people, what he's saying is this. It's not okay for people to be sick in my kingdom. Sickness and death are intruders in my kingdom. 
There's no place for sickness and death in the good creation in Eden. And there is no place for sickness and death in the new creation when I'm finished bringing my kingdom. This won't stand. Sickness and death are intruders. They're enemies. And they are temporary. Because in my kingdom, I'll dispose of them. That's what he's showing. He's saying this is what it's going to be like in my kingdom. These things are collateral damage from your war of independence with God. Uh, I'm fixing that war with him. The root cause of what's broken in the world. But I'm also fixing the symptoms of that. Like sickness and death. Those things are not going to be a part of your life anymore. Now he does this miraculously. Not His miracles are never party trick things. They're never gee whiz uh, events to try to attract a crowd. Um, that's never the purpose of the miracles that Jesus does. His miracles are always to put on display, look, this is what it's going to be. This is what the future is. This is what I've come to do. This is what's going to be like when I am reigning. I'm going to put normal back on display. You've never seen normal. You've never seen the normal world and the way it's supposed to be and the way it's supposed to work. Uh, Normal doesn't have sickness and death. So I'm showing you, I'm giving you a glimpse of normal. Or someone else put it this way. I'm, I'm giving, this is an intrusion of the future. Right? So you can see a glimpse of what the future is going to be like. So Jesus said, you know, in my kingdom, it's not okay for people to be sick. It's not okay for people to die. Now this raises a lot of questions that the church has handled pretty poorly through the years. Um, because when you see this stuff happening, you're thinking, I want to see that, <laughs> right? Um, I, I want to see miracles. I want to see healings. I want my mother-in-law, when she's sick, to get healed immediately by Jesus. Um, what are we supposed to expect when we see Jesus doing these miracles of healing? Um, I mean, I think everybody would say, in their Christian experience, you see a whole lot fewer of these kind of things than the people who are around Jesus saw, right? How do you account for that? Is it because um, we're more sophisticated now and don't believe in miracles as much? Because I'm not sure these people were believed in miracles either. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think they were all pretty shocked when Jesus started doing these things. Um, or is it because maybe we don't have as much faith as people did back at the time of Jesus? And that's possible, but nobody had, nobody knew anything at that point, and their faith wasn't very great, so that wasn't the explanation for what was going on. Um, when we think about miracles, it's easy, it's easy to be tripped up by misunderstandings, especially, it seems like, about physical healing. Because you certainly know that it's within God's power to heal people. He can do that. Some of you have probably seen him do that as an answer to prayer. Uh, people that you have no explanation for how they got well other than Jesus answered your prayers. And I've seen that some. Not much, but some. Um, but you wonder, well, why doesn't he do that all the time then? Why not? Why does he heal everybody that I'm concerned about, that I'm worried about when they get sick? Why does he answer all my prayers that way? And what you realize pretty soon, though, is that healings are pretty rare in even in the Bible. I mean, miracles are pretty rare in the Bible. You kind of get them bunched around a couple of things like the Exodus, when God was bringing his people out of Egypt 
There were a number of miracles there with the plagues and things around the ministry of Moses. Then around the time of Elijah and Elisha, there were some pretty dramatic miracles then. And then it's pretty much the time of Jesus' public ministry and the immediate aftermath of that with his apostles' ministry in the early days of spreading the Christian faith. And that's about the only time you see miracles being normal or normative in the Bible. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting to see even in this passage that Jesus didn't heal everybody. Like he left some sick people sick. They came to get him in the morning when he was praying. He said, man, everybody's looking for you. I bet they were looking for him, right? You know, we got sick people. We need your help. And what did he say? Let's go to these other towns so I can preach. But the point wasn't, I'm going to heal everybody I can get to. I'm going to rob myself of sleep and spend, you know, 22 hours a day uh, just trying to find every sick person I can and heal them and fix the world that way. That was not what he was doing. He was giving examples through these miracles, examples of healing. But he wasn't healing everybody, even in his ministry, left people sick. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, who you know, is one of the designated spokespeople for Jesus after his resurrection, he saw some pretty crazy miracles in healing. Like it says in the book of Acts that people would take his handkerchief that he touched and take it to a sick person and that person would get well. A lot of people have been trying to do that on TV since. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, but he's like, he's seen things. A guy fell out of the window after he preached too long one night, died, and he raised him from the dead. It's like Paul understands miraculous healing, has seen things none of us have ever seen. Later in his ministry, he's writing to Timothy, one of his protégés, and giving him instructions about being a minister. And he says, uh, I know you've been having trouble with your stomach. Drink some wine. Maybe it'll help. <laughs> wine? <laughs> what? <laughs> what about a handkerchief? What, what do you mean, drink some wine? Maybe it'll help. In the same letter, he says, yeah, there's a guy named Troph Trophimus, and I was going to bring him with me on my last trip, but he was sick. He was sick? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Fix him, right? I mean, do the, do the magic. Make it happen, right? Where's the miracle? But that's not, that's not normative. Um, that's not normative in church history either, right? Everybody's got a story. It's usually like one person removed and has to do with a missionary in a, a, a brand new place for the gospel. seems like most of the good stories come from there. But... Physical healing isn't normative in the Christian life. Um, it's going to be. We'll have resurrected bodies that won't be subject to decay and illness. But, um, but our expectation is that we're going to experience a lot of that now. You know, it's not. Um, now, Christians are, have been propelled by Jesus' healing into the world to become doctors and nurses and to, to establish hospitals and things like that. Because they're saying, look, we're here on Jesus' mission, seeking his kingdom. And in his kingdom, sickness is a problem to be attacked and addressed, not something just to be lived with. So Christians push back 
against what's broken in the world, but our expectation isn't that uh, miraculous healing will happen to everyone who seeks it. Right? Sometimes, you know, it does. It's, uh, we're going to elect elders in um, a couple of months, and one of their jobs is when people are sick, it says this in James chapter 5, if you get sick, you call for the elders, and they'll come put oil on you and pray for you. And a lot of times you'll get better because of that. And I've been doing that for years with groups of elders. And um, I haven't seen many people, but I've seen a few people get better uh, seemingly because of that. Had a physician friend in Alabama had tinnitus in his ear. You know, it's you know just a very frustrating, at least, malady. And they can't do anything about it. Some of you, I'm sure, have dealt with some of this. And uh, the elders prayed for him and put oil on his head. And he... Uh, it went away. It was pretty cool. We had him stand up in front of the church and tell about it. I saw him a few weeks ago. This is probably 25 years ago. I saw him a few weeks ago. They came out to visit. It's mostly back. I'm still really thankful that we got to pray for him and that Jesus relieved him for a while. But all healings like this are temporary. Right? Everybody that... I mean, Peter's mother-in-law died, you know. I don't mean to spoil the story, but I mean, Lazarus died again, right? I'm imagining Lazarus in the infirmary, you know, near on his deathbed and someone next to him is dying and is all upset and crying about it. And he goes all James Franco from uh, Legend of Buster Scruggs and looks over and goes, first time. <laughs> But he died again. And everybody Jesus healed died again. I mean, they all died. It's temporary. They're, they're pictures for us. Intrusions of the future, but the future's not already here. I mean, it's here, but it's not fully here. And until it's fully here, we're not all going to be well. But because the king is here, sickness itself and death itself are temporary. They have a shelf life. And they're going to end. And when he finishes his kingdom, consummates it, comes back to reign, uh, no more masks, no more COVID, uh, no more sickness, and no more death. So he came to heal the sick because of that. And he came to relieve the demonized similarly. Ever see an exorcism that wasn't a movie? I haven't either. Um, People had expectations about the Messiah. So, okay, the Messiah's here. Mostly, it seems like what they thought the Messiah was going to do is uh, throw off the Roman yoke, right? We're not going to be under the thumb of Rome anymore because the, you know, the greater David is here and we're going to be back in our rightful place as the number one nation. And uh, so, when Jesus came, he said, I'm after more than that. I'm after more than that. I not only want to overthrow Rome, I want to overthrow the evil power behind Rome and behind all of the empires of the earth. The evil powers behind them that cause not only individual politicians and rulers to be uh, evil and sinful, but cause the whole structures of governments to be sort of inexplicably exponentially evil and damaging to people. I'm going to end all of that, he says. And so 
the spiritual systemic forces behind the empires are in his sights as he comes to bring his kingdom. Some of this uh, is difficult. One, talking about demons is, is difficult because it sounds superstitious and primitive. Um, Jesus believed in them. You know. um, but the other thing is the Bible talks in some conflated categories about these things because you'll read in the New Testament sometimes it'll, it'll talk about Jesus coming to overthrow the principalities and powers and rulers and authorities. And you think, well, is he talking about like devils and demons or is he talking about politicians and governments? Principalities and powers and rulers and authorities and it's not clear. And the idea seems to be that these things are kind of all wrapped up in a complicated way all of a piece. Um, so that when we sit back and try to understand something like systemic evil, you know, it involves our sinfulness all mixed in with other people's sinfulness, but it also involves uh, spiritual forces behind uh, our sinfulness, things that are mostly in the shadows to us, but are a real part of what goes on in the world. And Jesus is out to address all of that, to fix not just the symptoms of the tyranny of Rome, but the root cause which is um, we've unleashed evil in the world by wanting to live independently of God. And he's come to address those things. And that's the point of his uh, opposition to these demons. And they get flushed out. You, where else in the Bible do you see demons much, except just right around the ministry of Jesus? And maybe a little bit his apostles after that. You'd be hard-pressed to say much concrete about them because the Bible doesn't even talk about them very much other places. Uh, his apostles talk about them some later, but it's like when the king comes, it's on. The battle is on, and the demonic comes out of the shadows to oppose him. It's not normative in the Christian life or experience to see a lot of that otherwise, though. Right? Um, you don't see it in the rest of the Bible or church history very much, but what he is saying is, by casting out the demons, it's not okay for people and their nations and cultures to be ruined by demonic evil in the world. That's not okay in my kingdom, and it's not going to be a part of my kingdom. And I'm going to give you a glimpse of what my kingdom is like, is that people are not going to be afflicted this way. It's not going to be this way uh, when I have my way. So, um, what are your expectations about demons as a Christian? How, how much do you expect to talk about or think about or encounter or deal with the subject of demons as a Christian? Um, if you're like me, your answer is, well, I hope not much. <laughs> that would be my preference. Um, but we're not told in the Bible to expect confrontations like Jesus had with demons. We're not told, you know, what would Jesus do with regard to demons, um, our experience with demons is different than his, right? Um, we're not given instructions, construct a methodology about how to deal with demons from, from what Jesus did in the Gospels. Uh, create a methodology for dealing with, with demon encounters based on what Jesus did in the Gospels. We're not instructed to do that. Not, I mean, the Bible clearly says demons are a problem for us, but... The problem for us, mostly, as Jesus' spokespeople said, 
is the normal wiles of the devil. He tempts us, he deceives us, and he accuses us uh, before God. And the weapons that we are given to oppose and resist him are not methodologies of exorcism, but are the weapons of the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about uh, the weapons of our warfare, against not against flesh and blood, but against uh, spiritual powers, are things like the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. It's the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that we appeal to in defense against uh, nefarious evil in the world, not methodologies for exorcism. I'm not saying that uh, weird things don't happen in the world and that I think the Roman Catholics kind of have this cornered, you know, of figuring out what to do in really desperate cases. And I don't, I'm not picking at that at all. I'm, I'm glad they're there. I, I'm sure and hopeful that it's helpful. But, um, but it's not the normative Christian experience to have confrontations with demons regularly like Jesus' normative experience was. All right? Um, so, you know, one thing with talking about these miracles and things too is the church has at times gone off this uh, deep end and, and I encourage you not to. Um, because we know Jesus can heal people doesn't mean that we don't like medicine. We like medicine. <laughs> we like doctors. Some of you should go into medicine um, because you love Jesus and want to serve him in the world. Um, and because we believe in the demonic doesn't mean that we don't like psychotropic medications or believe in mental illness because we do believe in mental illness and we thank Jesus for psychotropic medications. Um, it's part of being a bizarro Christian in the world. Living here makes you weird, but we believe in demons and in psychotropic medication and um, pretty robustly uh, believe both of those things. Uh, so we're not those who would say because we think demons are a part of everything broken in the world, therefore we attribute things only to demons and address them as if, they, if only the demonic were involved. That's, that's not the normative Christian response and experience and shouldn't be for us. So, um, see these miracles. What do you conclude? This is our king. This is the kind of king we have. He's not okay with us being sick. He's not okay with our friends and loved ones dying. He's not okay with demons ruining us and ruining our uh, life together in its different forms. Those things don't stand in his kingdom. Those things are temporary. He's going to take those things out of the way. And he doesn't just urge us to detach ourselves from caring about these things like uh, a lot of the Eastern religion says, is to deny desire, detach yourself from caring about suffering in the world. And he doesn't believe in the eugenics of the West. It says just, uh, you know, get your way out of this with test tubes. But our king enters into our suffering. He sees it. He cares about it. He feels it with us. And he's not content to let it stand. He's angered by it. He's heartbroken by it. He's willing to take it on himself. And he's conquering it. And he's ending it. The curse is going to be gone. The things that plague our lives are going to be gone because the king is here to take them away. That's the hope. That's the buzz around Jesus' early ministry is this is what's going to happen. This is what's coming. You know, the day after 
uh, Pierre Schaefer went on the radio in Paris and told them that the Allies had uh, entered Paris. The bells rang, the people sang the Marseillaise uh, all over town in the dark. When the sun came up, you know what happened? The same war. Uh, civilians and soldiers died the next day in that same war. It was still going on. The Germans were tacitly defeated at that point. Paris was tacitly liberated at that point, but they were a determined foe nonetheless, and they were still kicking. We live kind of like those Parisians live. We've heard the bells. We've heard the news. We know the hope. We know what's coming, but we live in a world that's still cursed. We live in a world where sickness and demons are still a massive problem, along with all the rest of our collateral damage. Um, this is where we are. It's where we're going to be until Jesus comes back. Right? Um, we live in the cursed world until the end. We push back against it. We see some progress in places. I would add psychotropic medications to some of the progress we see of Jesus fixing the world. But boy, um, there's a long way yet to go. Right? It won't be finished until he returns. But we have hope because we've seen the king. We've seen the king. Um, the risk of cliche. Tell you about Gandalf. Uh, fellowship was not impressed with Gandalf. They liked him, respected him, but you know he didn't seem to be their best and strongest. He seemed the least. He was less tall than the others, and looks more aged, gray-haired, and gray-clad, and leaning on a staff until they got to the mines of Mora. And the Balrog showed up. And then Gandalf pulls himself to his full height and pulls back his gray robe and confronts the Balrog, which in the movie was terrifying. <laughs> and he said, I am the servant of the secret fire, the wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. And they saw Gandalf for who he was. This is what we see in the Gospels. We see Jesus, who is dismissed mostly as a mild-mannered teacher of peace. We see him drawn up to his full height. And we see his power revealed. He is the one who has the healing hands of the king. He's the one who has power over every evil force. And our calling is to trust and follow him until he comes and finishes setting the world back to rights. Let's pray.